0: Good morning, beloved it's good to gather together and worship. Um, so did you know that your taste buds actually regenerate roughly every two weeks? yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? Your taste buds regenerate roughly every two weeks, so you drink that hot drink and it scalds your mouth, you gotta wait a few days, just kinda depends on where you're at in the cycle, but there's a reason that you can taste at least a few days later, and it's not just permanent. Um, If you're married to someone like my wife, that's a really good thing, because when she thinks something is warm, it's actually scalding. And so, um, but it's good to know. So your taste buds regenerate roughly every two weeks, but our tastes also change. Like, how much you like something, how much you enjoy something, the, there's, there's a lot more than just the taste buds because it's also your sense of smell and other things that are at play in that, uh, but that doesn't change every two weeks, um, which would make grocery shopping a lot more exciting if it did, but <laughs> that takes a lot longer, and yet it happens. Um, I did not believe that for a long time in my life. I grew up on a pretty restricted diet, like we just had the same things all the time. And so um, when I would venture out, sometimes that would have bad consequences for me. I would not feel so great. And so I just learned at a pretty young age, like, just stay with what's safe. Um, But then I, I found out as I grew a little older that my tastes were changing and things that I once was terrified of, I could enjoy now. That's amazing. So I started to become a lot more confident trying new things over time. And so got to the point where I'm part of a, a group of pastors. We're in kind of the similar stages of church life. And we try to get together a couple times a year. Um, the last time that I got together with them, we, we went to a restaurant. And with my confidence that I'm willing to try new things now, um, we sit down. And the guy who lives in the city that we're in, he's like, you got to try the edamame here. It is Amazing. And so, mind you, there's a handful of pastors gathered around the table, and so he orders these as an appetizer. They come out, they set the bowl of edamame in front of me, and so I just instinctively know, like, well, I'm gonna try it. And so I grab one, and I've never had edamame in my life up to that point. And you know what I do in my confidence? Throw that whole thing right in my mouth. And they're all watching me because it was set in front of me, so I have first dibs, and the room goes quiet and I immediately think, this is terrible. <laughs> it's not like a snap pea. Like, what is this? But they love it, so just carry on. And finally, like, I look up, and they're all looking at me. And one of them is like, I want you to feel no shame in this. But <laughs> spit that out. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. <laughs> so I spit it out, and then learned you, know, you pop the soybean out and eat that. And, but it was, it was rough. Cause here's the thing, like I'm I'm in a group of new friends and these guys that like, you know I want to feel like I'm I belong here, like, all right we're here things are going well I'm confident and then I do something really dumb, and suddenly oh, I don't feel so confident anymore. <laughs> like they probably think I am the dumbest person in the world and they're right, but you know I don't feel confident anymore. And we, and we come to that in the tension of like we're walking through the vision language of our church: belong, be known, be loved. And we start with this idea of belong. Like that, we all know the pain of exile. That from being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, ever since we've just gone this just desperate search as humans. Like we want to belong somewhere, and so we go through life just wondering: like is this for me? Do I have a place? We walk into every room and we size it up. They're like: is this actually a place for me? We want to know that we belong somewhere in that what we want is we want to know that we're desired, we're chosen in the language of Peter when we started this series. (laughs) We're elect exiles, that we are chosen, God chose us, a royal priesthood. We have meaningful purpose and it's a safe and right place for us. We want that so desperately to belong. And the invitation of the gospel is you can belong. But it's not just about being in a place um, that you feel right and secure and useful. It's more than that. We want, we crave to be known, and in that, what we really want is intimacy, the desire and the pursuit of real intimacy. Um, there's an article that I read some years ago that's just always stood out to me in my mind as I think of community, and this, this pastor had taken his family to this just rural area, and there's waterfalls all around, and they found out there's actually a waterfall very close to the cabin they're staying in, and so they're they're there and there's like a 25 foot drop and there's a pool and everything and they see there's a rings sw- uh, a, a rope swing and so 15-year-old son is like, Dad, I've got to do it, I've gotta do it, and he's like, No, like we don't know what's under the water. Like that's how about you just climb up a few feet at a time and we'll let you play and everything. And he's like, Oh, come on. And so next thing you know, some road workers have finished their job or they're on break or whatever, and they show up and just take off their outer garments, and right off the top of that waterfall. They're in, they're out, they're in, they're out, and so clearly now it's safe. There's nothing to hit in the water. like It's deep enough for you to go off of that rope swing, and so sun comes back, Dad, you gotta let me and everything, and he's like, well, here's the deal. I'll let you do it, but no one is going to take a photo or a video of it. You know what the sun says? And What's the point? <laughs> Wait, what? And how much is that our life now? not to to throw shame on social media and stuff, but like so much of what we do is about what we want projected to others. And here's the danger in that, is so much about community is lost and that if we reduce community to just what we want projected to community, we entirely miss the gift of community. If you want to really be known, it cannot just be the mask that we like to put on every morning. You have to take the mask off and say, this is actually who I am. You here with me, face to face, that we belong here together and we can actually be known. The exhausting, just relentless, just awful job that it is to wake up and try to front that this is who I am. Am I not impressive? This is why I belong? But to have a community where you can say, no, actually, this is who I am. Entire edamame thing in my mouth. This is actually who I am. (laughs) it's gross. I don't like it and to exit that situation with people saying, it's okay, you still belong. That's what we want so bad, but we know that tension. Be long and be known sounds great. But when you get down to the be known, they're like, you want intimacy, but intimacy only ever comes with vulnerability. If you never make yourself vulnerable, you will never experience intimacy. That's true in your marriage. It's true in every sphere, though. But if you want real intimacy, you have to take a risk. And if you're not willing to take the risk, you're never going to have real community. And so we live in that tension of like, I want to belong and I want to be known, but if I am known, will I belong? Or will I be shunned from this community? Will I be cast out of this community? And so I want to know how I can be there, and I'm calling you into that, beloved. I'm calling you into this gospel community, and I'm asking you to step further in. I'm calling you to see the beauty of community, to belong to what Jesus has built, to belong to what he has built, and what he is still building. He's still building it because we are not yet perfected. We are justified. We have this justification that God has declared us righteousness because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. His blood covers us. So God legally, in this forensic sense, says in the courtroom of heaven, you're free. You're justified. You're righteous. And yet when you live in the tension of sanctification that I'm still this stumbling saint, that I don't walk in darkness, but sometimes I stumble in it. And he's calling me more and more into light, into holiness, and it's only by his power that I can ever do that. But in the tension of that, this already not yet, we have the tension of, well, it's kind of a broken community. Like, it gets messy in here. What if I get pushed out of that? Like, if, if I actually show them my mess, can I still be a part of that? We have all these tensions. I want you to step into that. Feeling confident. As we're drawn to Confidence. And that's why we elect the leaders that we elect. If you, you see a politician running who's stuttering and stammering and just so unsure of like how to answer this question or whatever, uh, you know, we'll change my vote. But even if they just run us in circles and everything, as long as they're confident about it, it's like, yeah, that's pretty admirable. <laughs> okay, all right. Good at this game. Okay. We're drawn to confidence. And that's why, just me personally now, I so love the writings of the Apostle John. When I read the scriptures, you know, God breathed the entire word of God. It is all inspired by him. And yet, he did that through human authors. And he didn't, like, rob them of their personality as they wrote. And so that's why you read one book, and it sounds a little different than the next book. It beautifully fits together. They're not contradicting each other. And yet, there's something different about the way that this reads than that reads. Because there's human authors that are actually having God work through them to write this. And so when John writes, you get some of his personality, you get some of his feeling and so forth comes through that. And I love his unshakable confidence. This is John. So think of what you know of the apostle John. This is a guy who's called early on by Jesus in his public ministry. Hey, James and John, you brothers, you were fishermen. You're gonna come with me. And they get to be in kind of this like secret circle, so to say. It's not really a secret, but like this inner circle where they get to go and experience and hear things that a lot of the other disciples did not. This is John who got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus glorified and hear the Father, booming, thundering voice, call out, This is my son, listen to him. This this is John who watched all the miracles of Jesus feeding thousands of people, and he gets to put his hands into that basket and be a part of it. This is John, who got to do amazing things, like watch Peter walk on water. One of his besties watches him start to sink, and he screams out, Lord, save me! And the sovereign hand of God reaches down and pulls him back up. This is John, who got a new mom at the cross. As Jesus looking at, seems like his most trusted friend says, hey, See, my mom, she's your mom now. Take care of her. This is John, who hearing that the tomb is empty takes off running and includes it in there that I outran Peter. (laughs) I got there. This is John, who watched as Thomas put his fingers into the holes, the scars, left on a risen, but not yet glorified Jesus. This is John, who says, that Last Supper, that night when he was betrayed and we all fled from him, we all abandoned him, you know where I was in that moment? I was reclined into his chest, listening to him. With the heartbeat of the creator of the cosmos, to become man, and I feel and hear his heartbeat on my head. Because I'm leaned back into his chest. But when he refers to himself, he never refers to himself as John. He calls himself the beloved disciple. Because this is me. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't care if you know my name. I just want you to know this. He loves me. You cannot change my mind on that. He loves me. I love how just confident he is in that, that if I know nothing else, I know he loves me. And then it permeates his heart and his life and now his ministry, that as he grows into an old man and he's writing these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as he writes them, it becomes how he addresses everyone. That the translation we use, the CSB, um, for the sake of modern readers, takes out beloved and then replaces it with dear friends. Um, but beloved is the term he uses. It's, and it's, it's actually almost annoying as you read these epistles. It's like every paragraph, you're like, beloved beloved, okay, I get it, you're talking to us. Like, we and that's why we name the church Beloved Church, because we want it to be like John, that every time we even address each other, it's just a continual reminder of the gospel, that you can be confident in this, he loves you. And if you hear nothing else, just hear this, he loves you, he loves you. You can be confident that you can belong and be known, but because you are loved, you can be loved. And so to that end, will you turn with me to 1 John chapter four? 1 John chapter four. As this apostle, (laughs) under the inspiration of God, is writing this letter, and he has been emphatically saying, beloved, 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 um, in the translation we're gonna be using, he says, dear friends, but I want you, we're gonna put beloved back into that. It's the one thing about this translation, like, could we change that? (laughs) 1 John chapter four, starting in verse seven. Read along with me. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. And so in this passage, I I want us to see two things. There is a call, there's this calling, but then there's a capacity for the calling. And so as we look at the calling, the calling is pretty simple, right? And yet so complex. Love each other. In fact, church history, this is just tradition, this is not recorded in scripture or anything, but a lot of church history, um, this goes back to the fourth century as Jerome retells the story, but um, church history says that the apostle John um, was, was boiled alive um, and yet got out of it unscathed somehow. Um, we know from scripture he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, um, basically slave labor, um, and, and so he's getting older, but later in his life, having lived through these crazy things, um, he gets to the point where he can barely speak, barely move, he can't walk on his own, and so a lot of the community would pick him up and bring him into the Sunday gatherings, and as an old man, barely able to say anything, all he would say every week was, little children, love each other. Little children love each other. That's all I've got. Little children love each other. Which you can actually hear him say repeatedly in these letters in scripture. But little children love each other. This is the calling, love one another. Why? Because love comes from God and is the natural product of being born of and knowing God. This is the mark of being God's own, of being born of God, of knowing God. The mark is that you will love each other You will love. It marks us. If I take my son, he's now in the elementary room, but if I bring my son up here and you look at us and you're like, yep, there's no denying. That's your son. Sorry, son, that's your daddy. (laughs) He is marked as my own. He looks like me. He has mannerisms like me. He is marked. There is no denying that he is mine. And it's the same way. Believer, follower of Jesus, if you have been born again of God, if he has given you life, through the death and resurrection of his son, quickened to life by the spirit of God who gives us a new heart. If you have been born again, you have been born of the father. You are his. And the mark of being his is you will love. You are marked by love. Because God is love, as John says it. And only persons can love. This is not some abstract deity that's like so distant and aloof. They're like, oh, does he really care? Like, no, he loves, God is love. It is so essential to his being that God makes, or John now makes the statement, God is love. and it doesn't reduce God to just being love because he's already said God is light and God is spirit, but he's saying it is so essential to who he is that God is love. You cannot remove this from him. And now you will be marked by it. If you know him, if you've been born of him, it will mark you. So love each other. Love one another. So what is this love that we're called to? Uh, in, the, in the Greek, it's agape. Agape, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, defines it as this. Agape means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. And though agape has more to do with moral principle than with inclination or liking, it never means the cold religious kindness shown from duty alone, as scriptural examples abundantly prove. Agape, love, is sacrificial. It will cost us. It costs us. It means to put others first. And so it's more than a feeling, but it's more than a duty. It's a beautiful privilege. And so as we look at what it is, this calling, and we say, well, who are we as a church? This is who we are. We are beloved. And as those loved by God, we must be marked by this. We must love one another. We must love one another in a way that is sacrificial. And so I have this vision of of who we can be as a community, who I want to be a part of, and I love that I'm seeing it more and more come about in my own life and in your lives, but to see a community that is so intimately in love with Jesus that when we meet people, they literally wonder, did that guy eat breakfast with Jesus today? Like, What if we were a community so in love with God and his word which are inseparable that we so love to hear the voice of our savior. We so love to just spend time with him pouring our hearts out to him and seeing and cherishing and treasuring the way that he has loved us to enjoy God himself because that is the gospel that we get God to really enjoy him so much that the world around says he actually knows God. Like my son cannot hide the fact that he is my son We cannot hide the fact that we are his. And the mark is love. The calling is love one another. To love each other sacrificially. But to do this, it requires things of us. That if it's sacrificial, it's going to cost something. So, What is it going to cost us to be this kind of community? It's going to require some things like, it starts with desire. You have to want it. And often we find what we want when we find what we did not want. Or we see how what we thought we wanted really failed us. And so it can be birthed out of a lot of pain and darkness. But to see, like the man who seems to be digging, probably for a job, but he is digging in a field for some reason. And Jesus says, well, he stumbled upon this buried treasure. And what does he do? I found a treasure out here sweating to death. I found treasure in this field. The field's not mine. The treasure's not mine. But I see the worth of the treasure, so much so, And I want it so bad that I'm willing to go sell everything I have so I can buy this silly plot of land. They don't know I found treasure. I buy the land, I get the treasure. Why? Why is it worth forsaking all else? Because the great desire, the worth of what I have found, to see and cherish the treasure that is Jesus, a God who loves us so much he would literally die for us. (laughs) To see the worth, you have to desire this, to see the beauty of Christ, to see the beauty of his word, to want to hear from God directly every day, to want that. And that leads us naturally to that repentance. We have to forsake all else. You have to turn from sin. And Jesus runs around preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, so what? Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. To turn from sin, you're turning to what? By default, you're turning to God. So turn from your sin. It's this death of self. It's this death of flesh it's a continual repentance that we don't just repent one time, God, I'm so sorry for my sins. I trust you to be my savior. Like that's a great start. But now the heart of the Christian is ongoing repentance. It's continually God search me. Tell me what is untrue. Show me. And I read your word and your law as it's a delight to learn the ways that I'm not pleasing you in my actions. But to see how you're calling me into holiness. And so it's this ongoing heart and posture of repentance that I turn from, I'm constantly turning back to God. It's to be changed by him, that it's only by his power. It's only by his power that we will ever be fully sanctified. And yet, he says, you have a responsibility in this. So come on. And so we must sacrifice in repentance. We must grow as so we turn to God. And like Paul said once, like I planted, Apollos watered, but who gives the growth? God. We are genuinely called into things we're responsible for. You should be reading God's Word. You should be praying. You should be meditating. You should be giving. You should be doing all kinds of different things that Jesus modeled for us. And yet, who is it ultimately that is growing us? It is God. And yet, we have a real responsibility to step into those things, to engage in disciplines, habits of grace. We must do these things to to work with God in this beautiful way that he is sovereign and yet he calls us into this. And so I'm calling you into this in this church, learn, have a discipline practicing partner. If you've never heard that phrase before, um, in January we actually give out covenant cards and we ask, hey for this year, every month there's a different discipline that we highlight as a church. And we just want you to spend that month focusing on that discipline, learning about it, practicing it, but we want you to do that in community. So take this covenant card and find one or two other people that you can say for 30 minutes a week, just 30 minutes, even if it's just a phone call, but for 30 minutes a week, can we talk about the discipline? Can we practice the discipline? And write your name on that. I'm committing to do this with you for the year. And watch the beautiful friendship that will blossom out of that. Engage in a home group. Be in the, this, home groups are the intentional space where you can belong, be known, and be loved. It's not gonna happen fully on a Sunday morning in this kind of a gathering. But if you're in a home group, you have a group of people who can know your life, who can be who you run to throughout the week. Someone to walk with you, to know that intimacy that we want. Ministry teams are a beautiful way to do this. You can grow through serving together. We have 40-something kids on a Sunday morning. We need more help. And we don't want people who just begrudgingly go in there. We want you to have a passion for those kids, the next generation, to know the Lord, to love him. We need help. We need help. We're a portable church. This takes a lot of work. Most weeks, we're sweaty. You don't want a hug from me. (laughs) It's nasty. You know how that gets resolved? How it becomes easier? And more people saying, well, I'll hold this corner. And suddenly, what was crushing, like, oh, yeah, this is nice. Let's go. So we need you to step into ministry teams. We would also love a stable space for ministry. It's, it's not our wish to stay portable forever. There's so much more ministry we could do if we had our own facility that could house it all. We have an office, but it's not very big. There's a lot of stuff that we would love to do that we can't because we don't have the space. If we're ever going to get that space, you know what's gonna have to happen? We're gonna have to pay for it. Or someone's gonna have to pay for it. And so step in. It does cost us. We want more and more local service opportunities, local partnerships. We want to be a part of planting churches here in our own community and around the world. And we've said we don't want to be a mega church. It's not in the books for us. I know it's beyond my leadership capacity and it's not convictionally what I want. I want gospel communities where you can belong, be known, and be loved. And that means as we grow here, just know, every one of us know, there will come a point, God willing, where we will say, Some of us need to leave. And this is a beautiful thing. Because we're going to have more and more gospel communities where people can belong, be known, and be loved. Centered on the gospel. But that cannot just be here. It must be around the world. Because God was always a missionary God. From the beginning, he cares and loves about the whole world. The entire world. And so we must go to all of the nations. We have one church plant in Kampala, Uganda but oh, the day when we can say we have 20. And they're all over the place. He has like, 40% of the world right now still does not know the name of Jesus and has no one around them that can tell them about him. (coughs) That should not sit well with us. And so I actually pray regularly that many of you, or even myself, will go to have the tears and the hard goodbyes, but to celebrate it that it's time to go. There are people who need to know what we know. And there's real hope. And his name is Jesus. All of that costs money, though. All of that costs effort. All of that costs all kinds of things. And so we must be willing to, if we're going to love one another, if we're going to love the world like God loves the world, it's going to cost us. It may take time. It may take talent. It may take treasure. It's going to cost. but oh, it's so worth the cost. It's so worth the cost to be generous. I want, you, I want to read this, um, knowing that there's a cost to the vision we have of seeing people belong, be known, and be loved in gospel Center churches. Um, this is Eugene Peterson. He said this. He said, Some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to live for ourselves. We look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of a bank account for dear life, afraid to risk ourselves on the untried wings of giving. We don't think we can live generously because we have never tried. But the sooner we start, the better. We are going to have to give up our lives finally. And the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace. Do you know the joy of giving? Have you ever tested Jesus on what he said when he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive? I'm not here to just ask for your money. We have a finance team, we have full transparency. You can ask any of us. You can know what I make, you can know anything about the church. We're not here for your money. I'm here for your heart, though. I care about your soul. And I wanna stand before Jesus one day and say, look at the left, fully mature in you. And I'll never be able to do that if I avoid talking about money, Jesus talked about money a lot, because it's a currency of your heart. But I'm not, I don't want you to give out of drudgery and obligation. I want to ask you, explore it. Try it. And see that Jesus is actually true. It is more blessed. You will be more happy to be selfless than to be selfish. So give. If you've never given, I want to challenge you, like actually challenge you. Skip the coffees for a week. Decide we're going to eat at home for one meal out instead of going out. And give that money to the church or to someone you see in need on the road, whatever it is. Give it away. Try it. And see what happens. But for us as a church to say, we are called to love. We're called to love in huge ways. It will cost us something. And so I want to ask you, will you step into that? Will you give a little more? Will you give for the first time? And it's not just money. That's time. It's talent. Hey, I saw a need and I could actually do something about that. Now joyfully step into that. All of this happens, and it's sacrificial. And yet it's together. You know, we talked about that church, ecclesia. It means gathering or assembly of chosen or called out ones. It all comes down to we must do this together. And As we come together, we see the beauty of this sacrificial love making sense, because here's the thing. You're like, oh, here's Pastor Kevin asking something of me. I'm asking you to lay your life down. To live for others. Look around the room. Will you love them? Will you love me? It's going to cost you. It will cost you to love others. But do you see the logical beauty of this? If you will do that for this church family, and now look around look around. There is a church family that is all doing that for you. So, how beautiful and reasonable is that? Yeah, I'll lay my life down and I'll love you sacrificially. But I did that, stepping into a community where every one of them said they're doing that for me. What's the danger in me laying my life down? (laughs) This makes sense. Do you see the beauty of what Christ is building? His church, this community, what we can be. But we still have that tension where, okay, I'll step into that, and I step into that, and now you know me a little more. Oh, now you know me that tension and so I told you there's the calling love one another it's gonna cost you something but now the capacity this is how you can if I'm known will I still belong trace every line make this a, a thought experiment this week for you trace out every thought what must everything come back to to make it worth it I am fully convinced everything must come back to the simple fact I'm loved because I'm loved Anything, anything you run through my mind, it has to come back to you well, because I'm loved. Because I am loved. It all must come back to that. Um, and, and we know that, but we distort that often because we're, we're, we're living for the approval of someone or something. And We had an elders retreat this weekend and one of the questions that we explored was, like, who's in the grandstand? Who's in the grandstand that you parade around in front of all the time, hoping for their love and approval? You should explore that. Who's in that grandstand that my whole life is just a performance that I'm just desperately hoping that they'll say like, yeah, you did that. You get my approval, you get my love. We, we can slip into living like that when the gospel is God is in the grandstand and he's not there because you deserve his applause. He's there because you never did, but he loves you in grace. He loves you. He delights in you. And you did not deserve that so you don't have to live trying to receive that and merit that. You never could, but he gives it freely. He loves you. This is why John calls us, says, love one another. If you don't love, you don't even know God because God is love. And then he follows it up with the gospel in a sentence. This is God's love revealed among us. He sent his son so that we could have eternal life. This is how you know that you were loved. You look back and you see that 2,000 years ago, God became man and he actually died for you. And then he rose back to life joyfully saying, you're mine, I get you. And what could we ever do to deserve that? Nothing. And yet he delights to give us life. And so now we have the capacity, okay, I can lay my life down. Makes sense, you're gonna lay down your life for me. But really, that's nothing compared to the fact that God already laid his life down for me. He loves me that much. He literally loved me to death. So here we go. I can love you. I can step into a community and say, I belong. You belong. We are known. I can know everything about you. You can know everything about me. And we can be confident that we still belong because I am loved. That when I see the way that God loves me, now <laughs> nothing can shake that. I can love you. And I don't have to be afraid. Because perfect love does what? It drives out fear. There's no place for fear here. I'm loved. You were loved. And so we can be in real community together. We can hear this gracious invitation of Jesus who's constantly saying, come to me. I just love hearing those words. Come to me. And Jesus says this, he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What's required of you? Just come to me. Get your life in order. Figure this out. No, just just come to me. Come to me. Or I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. You have the promise of God himself. If you come to me, I will never cast you out. Come to me. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Come to me. So will you come to Jesus? And know that you can extend this invitation to come to Jesus to others because you have received the invitation. Come to Jesus. This is how we know. He loves us because he sent his Son for us. There's a calling and there's the capacity. You can love because you have been loved, and that's why John is actually alluding to the great command, the new command, actually, that Jesus gave the night of his betrayal, when Jesus, having washed their feet, humbling himself to the lowest position in the room, and he gets up. This is the night. He's like, one of you is going to betray me. Like all this weird tense conversations happening, beautiful teaching, and all this stuff. And yet in the in the midst of that moment having humbled himself to that point, and knowing the cross that is to come, Jesus said, I give you a new command, love one another. New command, love one another. Here's what's new, just as I have loved you, you you're also to love one another. And by this, the world will know you follow me. This is how the world knows we follow Jesus. We're marked by love. He loves us, and that enables us to love each other. So let's love each other. Because bottom line, the mark of a disciple is love for each other. This is who we are. This is who we will be. This is who he is making us. A community of love, of real love. Because we have been loved, we are the beloved, and we can love each other. So if you are a skeptic, you don't know if you believe any of this. If you're a seeker, you want desperately to know what is true. If you are a stumbling saint, just not sure, I keep falling over and over, or you're a doubting saint, I don't know, I believe, help my unbelief, I'm asking, will you believe this good news? Will you hear Jesus say, come to me? Will you respond to him? A follower of Jesus, who do you need to share this good news with? Because we speak naturally about what we love most. You know that's true. That's why you have jerseys. That's why you have stickers on your car. That's why we have regular conversations about things that most of us think are weird. But it's not weird for you, because you love it. We speak naturally about what we love most. Remember, taste buds change. My taste buds have changed. I used to think guacamole was one of the most disgusting, horrendous things in the world. That's changed. And now I want to ask you to do me a favor. If you're ever coming over, please ask my wife to make guacamole, because it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. I love it. This is what I'm hoping you see. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste and see, and you know now, I am loved, He loves me, I can now go love others. Because when you taste and see, now you can taste and tell. So let's go tell the world. We pray. Father, thank you so much you're glorious, you're majestic, you're worthy of full, full obedience, you're worthy of everything we could ever give and so much more. And yet you love us. Us who are wretched, us who rebel continually, us who forget. You love us. So God, help us to see that continually, to taste and see constantly you are good. And because of the way that you've loved us, help us, Father, help us, Spirit, help us, Son, help us to love each other, to love the world like that. Would you make this a church that is so tight-knit together, together, that we would be known by our love for each other. And that would give us a crazy, loud microphone to scream to the world that it is loved. So be reconciled to God. Let us be about your gospel. Your will be done. We love you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.